Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Talk Notices After Dark. We are being joined this evening by Fratter Ash, Ashen Jason. I don't know why I have such a difficult thing. Ashen Chasson. Ashen Chasson. Okay, that seems... I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> oh, well. <I'm> <laughs> it's a fun um, game to... Uh, you, you can play a drinking game with Bishop Canterbury in names. We could. We could. <laughs> We, 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 yeah, definitely. Every time that the Bishop Canterbury says a guest name wrong, take a shot, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, I was going to say uh, thing earlier, so who cares? <laughs> um, but he is a ceremonial magician, author, seminarian in the Apostolic Jonai Church, just uh, had his one book now released, Gateways Through Stone and Circle, in a new edition, which is soft cover, which Bishop Peterson has. Which I do. If you watch our uh, uh, video cast, you will see that she holds up the cover. And the artwork was quite beautiful. Mm. That's good radio right there. It is. It's really good radio. <laughs> uh, well, let me begin then, if I, if of I might. Of course. Um, so, uh, Frater, you, you, uh, you described a little bit about your book in the video show, and I know the last time you were on the podcast, I think you talked a little bit about your personal experiences um, that kind of led you to this, but I think the story's neat. So would you mind, uh, for maybe people who didn't listen to that before, um, tell us a little bit about how you got into esoteric work and, and the experiences you were having that led to that? Sure. Well, basically, um, I got into the occult and esoteric, uh, esoteric studies uh, because of a lot of happenings and, and um, experiences that um, I had ever since I was young and also happened within my family. Um, we had situations, um, you could call them like paranormal experiences, um, as we were growing up. And our family was Methodist, but uh, nobody had any real background about um, what that stuff was about. And um, there wasn't quite the uh, the hype in, in the paranormal societies and, and, and things like that uh, back then when I was growing up, or at least my parents never looked into it. Uh, we just tried to pray and, and get through it, and sometimes it was terrifying, sometimes it was just confusing or, or odd. And I grew up in that situation, I always wanted to know what was going on, and uh, I was always one of those people, too, that never wanted to be victimized by anything or, or just feel afraid, but to understand. And if I had to defend myself, I wanted to know how as well. So my interest spurned off from there and, and not being able to get uh, satisfactory answers from uh, the clergy of my church uh, back then and, and other people that I thought might be authorities. They just, they didn't know. And they also did not experience or had not experienced uh, the same things that my family and I were seeing. So that was what kind of spearheaded it. Uh, from there, I just did a lot of research, um, not only through magic, but through various spiritualities. I got very, very fascinated with learning about different religions, which I eventually went into college. And, and um, I kind of balanced between philosophy, psychology, and comparative religions, uh, philosophy, and understanding customs. Because you really wanted to get a job right out of college? Um, no, <laughs> and that was not, that was definitely not why I went to school. Although, um, I did become, uh, my state's youngest certified hypnotherapist. Um, oh. and that, that was, uh, something that was interesting because I kind of came upon being able to hypnotize people, uh, very easily when I was 14. Uh, my parents were 
concerned um, because I was having my friends and my brother come in and <laughs> and I was hypnotizing them. They weren't sure about that, but when I, I tried it on them, they liked it so much that that helped with their stress and, and sleeping that they paid for my uh, internship and, and um, training and certification uh, through the school, Palo Alto School of Hypnotherapy. And uh, I was only 18 and I was the youngest. They said I was the youngest certified hypnotherapist at that time. So um, that was really part of it as well. There's just a lot of things going on in my later teens uh, as I was discovering that uh, I, I could have more control over my my thinking, my emotions, um, and the spiritual things that were happening instead of just kind of um, being a person that would just always react and that was either victimized or would just kind of respond when things would happen. Um, I felt that I could take a more proactive approach. And uh, that's that's what got me into the esoteric. I found that I had a knack for it. Um, I would read certain books and there was, you know, they would have a description of a certain spell or ceremony to do and, and I would do it and um, get surprising results and uh, it really worked for me. I was just, I don't know, I seemed to have a knack for it. So I kept going um, and I looked into several things and I think like many people, um, I got kind of swept away by a lot of the new age magical books that just kind of have a mixture of all kinds of methods. But um, I eventually came across the grimoires and, and classic ceremonial magic and that really fascinated me because um, it had face-to-face -face conversations with spirits that um, I had not really gotten to that, that point when I would see a spirit or I would encounter a spirit or my family would encounter a spirit. It was always just kind of a surprising, uh, rather chaotic thing. And, and there was definitely no control. There's no, um, you know, meaningful exchange as far as conversation and understanding why that spirit was there, what it was about, what it was doing and what its purpose was. So um, I became very fascinated with uh, ceremonial magic and, and being able to converse and speak with a spirit that way so I could actually learn more about uh, what they were all about, what that world was all about, and, and what I could do about it. Hmm. Now, did, you, did you ever find out what kinds of spirits it was that, were, that was bothering you? Not directly as far as identities and names for a lot of uh, things. Some were ghosts, uh, spirits of the departed, that just people who seemed confused or either angry or just um, upset themselves, but I never really totally understood uh, who they were. Some things I saw when uh, we lived out, um, when I lived with my parents, we had acres and acres of forest all around the house, and I spent a lot of time out there. And some things I came across that were just bizarre and uh, were frightening, but I didn't get any kind of idea of what they were. Um, when uh, looking back on it now, I think some were uh, land spirits or, or spirits that just could tell that uh, I would be aware of them. Um, sometimes I would be drawn out into place thinking I was hearing a sound. Uh, I have lots of stories, but one of the stories was uh, I heard all large group of teenagers and I thought I heard a crackling fire and like a boom box and it sounded like a party and I was very protective over the forest I didn't want them to burn that down they were not supposed to be having for uh, fires out there and so I tried to track down the noise but it kept moving and um, I was so convinced of what I heard that I just kept on tracking the sound every time it it moved and I thought it was just echoing off the trees weird but it would seem really close and I would get close on it but I couldn't see anything and it would change uh, and during one of those episodes, I found myself 
way far away from the house in the middle of the forest and it was in nighttime. And before I knew it, I kind of snapped out of this um, basically glamour or whatever I was under in this very, very dark figure. Stepped out of the bushes um, and everything, and it seemed really solid. I thought it was a person that was just dangerous or, or kind of approaching me rather aggressively. Um, but when I turned back to basically run away and I looked over my shoulder at it, <clears throat> this being would change its position 90 degrees from where I saw it last. And I mean 90 degrees by a good 20, 30 yards from where I saw it. I mean, it was instantly in a different place. And I was very confused and frightened. I didn't understand what I was seeing. It did not speak to me. It just came towards me steadily. Um, but I was eventually able to get away from it. I ran and I ran, ran back home through the two miles and, and I, the memory is still very vivid, but I have no idea what that was about, what it wanted. And it just very much frightened me. I didn't know what it was about. So I've, I've had experiences like that where they've been confusing and I saw something, but I have, I had no further information besides just a very odd experience. Mm. At the risk of going down a, <laughs> a deep tangent here, um, I've I've been curious about ghosts lately um, because I don't I don't quite understand the mechanics of it <laughs> and I guess that's I guess I'm not alone there but um, you know what what does your experience of ghosts and spirits and things uh, tell you about um, afterlife experiences? From what I've learned and uh, from what I've experienced directly, <clears throat> it's not all the same thing. I mean, there's definitely um, People who are sensitive that, uh, first of all, nothing is, is is separate and discreet, even people in their physical bodies. It's one of the gifts that we have that we can kind of get into that, but we're not islands. So we're always connected to something, and emotions are something, and, and uh, feelings are something, and they actually leave stuff behind. And I think when certain things get discharged, they definitely do imprint on the environment, and, and people who have that kind of sensitive uh, sensitivity can pick up on that and, and you know recall a little bit of what happened there and some of that residual energy is there as far as spirits and, and ghosts um, themselves when I think when people do pass on a, a lot of that consciousness depending I don't I can't claim to know the reasons why or exactly how but uh, they can stay behind and they can kind of be fixated and, and stuck in, um, in an area, a situation, and they can be conscious, at least semi-conscious of other people, especially people who are able to uh, be sensitive to them and, and understand that they're there and, and they will try to um, you know, speak. Some are very confused, some are angry, but some seem pretty, pretty coherent of what they're doing there and why. Um, Again, only from my own experience, my my scry and I contacted some some ghosts of some children uh, that uh, were in a hospital, and patients would see them, and the nurses would see them, and, and somebody contacted us because they're like, "What you know? Why are there ghost children there? Are they stuck? You know, do they need to move on to the light? Uh, you know, are they bad? Are they you know evil disguised as children, and they're bothering the patients? Can you find out who they are?" And you know, we said, "Sure, we'll look into it," and. We found out some amazing things, and the, and the children that understand, they gave us dates of when they died, and you know, and how they died, and, and what was going on. But um, how the girl, the little girl spirit, had chosen to stay behind because she very much enjoyed helping people in the ho hospital. They were working in hospice, uh, and she liked helping people 
cross over to that next life to go through the light. She'd seen this, you know, light and, you know, the, almost this angelic being that would help these people out. But she decided to stay behind because it gave her some sort of purpose. And, you know, we talked to her further and she's like, it, she, you know, understood that, you know, if she wanted to move on, she could, but she wanted to stay there because she liked the interaction. You know, and exactly, and we do pretty much, you know, from those experiences, you know, we got amazing detail. We could see them and, and talk to them. They would answer our questions and everything. So, um, doesn't make us an expert. It's just that we can have those experiences and it's like, okay, well, you know, we either take that as it is, or we can try to, you know, really, really kind of, um, analyze it and, and try to dissect it to figure out if, you know, if it's something else, if, it's our minds picking up on past things that just happen and there's a little bit of the residual energy there. Or, you know, there's plenty of theories that could surround that. But um, I've had some dealings with people who had, you know, crossed over and they seem pretty coherent. They're able to communicate and everything, but not all the time, especially the ones who it was a very traumatic thing. If, if you had a lot of mental and emotional difficulty you know, especially up to the time of their passing on, that seems to still be there. Like they're still struggling with something. Unfortunately, that doesn't seem to instantly go away. If they're kind of a jerk in life, a lot of times it's going to be a jerk in, in spirit form too. So, um, you know, not a ghost whisperer, but ever since I was young and my, my father is probably the one that passed a lot of the things on. He continues to have these experiences and doesn't want to, he's not interested. He's a very idealistic man. And he always tries to um, convince himself sometimes that he's either hallucinating or didn't get enough sleep that night or something. But, you know, they're often very intense. And I used to usually have to go in and help him out when that stuff happens. So I don't know if that answers your questions, <laughs> but that's my perspective. No, that's great. Thank you. Anybody else want to jump in with it? I don't want to monopolize the conversation here. I think for me, one of the questions that I have is, um, why do you, it seems to me that, that you will talk to the spirits, you'll talk to the angels, and, and you will question them and that sort of thing. But what guarantee do you have that they're telling you the truth? The only, the only guarantee, or I guess the only um, measure that I can test it again, is again, just kind of like a, a, a series of stages. As, as far as the the tradition of the grimoire goes, there's uh, some preliminary questions that we have to ask. And, and the, the one is, what is your name? What is your office? What are the best times to reach you? And also, do you, do you swear by this oath, you know, by the blood of Jesus Christ and you know, the Almighty God that you are the spirit such and such? You know, and the spirit will respond that. And there's an interesting part in the lore and even across traditions and cultures that um, – Certain spirits cannot lie directly, especially when their name is involved, and definitely more so if you're using a very, very holy name, something that you attribute as having the most high authority, which in the grimoires and, and uh, these cases, this Christian magic is you're using the authority of God to be able to call these spirits forth, to be able to speak with them. And the interesting thing is, is that for the angels especially, when we said, do you swear by the blood of Jesus Christ that you are the angel such and such? He never, never once have he said, yes, I do. They go on to a very, very long kind of poetic thing, um, like by the blood of Jesus Christ, the, the one who is 
the most perfect in man and, and who, you know, suffered on the, the cross that I swear that I am. I mean, they make it quite a big ordeal. So I'm like, that's interesting because it sounds like they take that seriously or they want to blemish like they say that, like they take that seriously because they made it into quite a, you know, an ordeal. Um, the other things that I, that I test is, is what the angel of the spirit is saying, does it match up what is written about them, what we know about them? Um, even though I'm sure, you know, there's going to be some brand new things, but that's something I always take in consideration because if it's, they appear kind of bizarre and, and don't match a lot of, um, you know, what would almost be expected of an angel or if they say something that is, you know, kind of far offhand, that would bring things into question, especially with the planetary ones. There's some correspondence. There's some uh, things that they should be about that they should have at least some sort of inkling. They should have knowledge about. Um, they should be proficient in be able to perform certain things. And then finally, if, if they do offer, um, if we ask for something and they agree to do it, um, if that does not come about, then that brings us the spirits and the operation and everything highly into question. So there's kind of a few things that we can cover, but beyond that experience uh, that and that kind of validation and everything, there's no absolute guarantee, of course. Um, and I, when I'm in these experiences and, and the whole um, thing is going on, um, my rational mind is still there, but it's also very much overwhelming with um, feelings that the room changes and I feel it, my scryer feels that it's just a presence that's there. It's something when your gut tells you, like, there's something here, and it's undeniable. Um, if it was kind of base and maybe just kind of, um, like, if I felt like I was talking in the thin air, um, I, would, I would wonder. I would think about that. I'm like, is this just going on in my head? Uh, but there's sights, there's sounds, there's complete overwhelming feelings that transpire and it's completely different as soon as they're gone. There's just a lot of things that my senses are telling me that something is going on. So that's an indicator as well. And then the information and what transpires and what we see and what we hear, you know, it's either there or it's not. Um, I've had operations when it was a bust, nothing happened and I could not force anything to imagine that something was going on when it wasn't. Um, I've definitely had failures before these successes, so there's a, a very stark difference. Um, but then again, it, it could be, you know, a spirit completely just amazing and, and perhaps masquerading as, as the intended spirit we're supposed to be talking to. And that's always a possibility, but to be honest, that's where my faith really jumps in. It's it's like either like, well, I either take this as, as what I'm seeing it or I can kind of break it down into nothing. If one of the spirits told me to jump off a bridge or to do something unethical, ridiculous, or, you know, I would highly hold that in suspect to be like, you know, why what would be the meaning? And I'm still waiting for that, for one of the angels to say something ridiculous or to try to see if we would do something that would go against our better judgment. But uh, so far that has not happened. So it hasn't been a major concern. Okay. Well, I've, I've got a few questions here for you. Also, Fredder, um, you know, obviously, I think you would consider yourself a Gnostic because uh, you are a seminarian in the in the Apostolic Joni Church. Um, but many Gnostics have a very complicated, to say the least, view of the cosmos, um, and especially within cosmic orders. Um, 
how do angels play into that? Well, to be honest, and even though the, the Johannites uh, claim to Nazism and everything, I'm very much interested in that. I can't say that there's a lot of things that, through experience, that I just I don't uh, agree with because it doesn't match my personal experience. Mm-hmm. And if there's one thing that, that I do enjoy about Nazism and, and Gnosis is that um, I, I'm always going to go foremost. I want to research and, and compare and contrast my experiences with others and you know, especially with spiritual scriptures and, and everything, I always take those in considerations, but um, I got to take a look at what's happening to me. And first of all, with my personal experience, the world has not been an unholy place. I've been ridiculously blessed more than, than what I deserve. I get provided for, and, and a lot of these things happen, and, and I don't have to put a tremendous amount of energy. It's not fair, and I understand the suffering of the world and, and makes me look at other people like, I don't understand why because I definitely know that I have a different experience of the world than many, many people do. Mm-hmm. But then again, it's like I either take it for what it is and appreciate the gifts that I've been given or I try to make it into something that I have not experienced. And when it comes to Gnosticism, you know, and as far as the aeons and what these different spirits are, you know, about and, and um, the Demiurge and, and uh, that it's, um, I can't claim to know. All I know is, is what, I've experienced what I've, I've felt and what has happened afterwards. I think if I was being misled or if I had a lot of spirits that were really trying to go to the demise, they're either really making my life wonderful and they're just going to give me the major smackdown towards the end when I'm least expecting it, which is a possibility. Um, or it can take it as a matter of they are who they say they are. And, and uh, the results, you know, my, my experiences with them are I'm not – hearing, seeing, and experiencing one thing in the magical chamber, and then having a totally different reality outside. Uh, they're matching up, they're correlating, and, and there's integrity that I can calculate, that I can record between them. And for me, that, that makes me happy so far, because it's, it is an invested interest into me. And I think um, early on, especially if I've put a lot of money and a lot of time doing these experiments, uh, I have a lot of interests. There's a lot of things that I like to do. There's a lot of things that I consider that I'm good at. Um, but this magic and, and speaking with these beings uh, is takes a huge priority because of the whole gamut of, of effects and experiences that I've, I've had with them. Uh, and as far as how that matches to other people's understanding, how it matches tradition, um, I can understand that does not always line up that some people are going to have some different experiences and different takes. My father's thing on the angels was at first, like, how can you believe in angels, Brian, when there's tortured children who get locked in closets and, and, you know, completely abused and nobody rescues them. I'm like, that's a very good question. It's, it's horrible. And I've asked the angels some very, very pointed questions about this. And they're pretty much coming back as, you know, they're extensions of the all, and their role and their job is not to appease and to please and to save human beings. That's not. They're there at sometimes. Uh, sometimes when they're called upon, they, they do arrive and they show up. But the reasons for doing so, are unfortunately, do not, they're not indicated and they're, they're not spurned by the suffering of human beings. Uh, and that's kind of a, a hard thing to, to take when it's, it's personally especially if we want to have this relationship with God, so the, a relationship to, okay, these beings who are supposed to be powerful and also positive. 
if they're parts of creation, you know, how do these other things exist? That's one thing that I, I struggle with. And even with my experiences, I still struggle with. It's hard for me to see and going, okay, I know this being exists. Why aren't they doing something about it? Mm-hmm. And I go back to that and it's odd, but I, all I can do is I come back and, and I really realize my finite point of perspective. I'm like, I don't, I can't see like they do. I don't understand the way that mm-hmm. things work as they do. I can only understand it from my perspective and I can see and I can talk to them, but that doesn't mean that I have any higher seeing than any other person on the face of the planet. <laughs> and it's just a weird thing. You know, it's weird that you bring that up because um, I got very sour on angels in my 20s. Um, essentially, I, I had was in seminary and I had um, been around, you know, the kind of the cultural angel thing with the angel pins and the little angel in your window and your little angel stained glass plaques and your angels are watching over you. And then my father died. And then when my father died very suddenly, uh, people kept on inundating my family and myself with angel paraphernalia and that really made me angry and I I just I really kind of had it at that point but some of my my own work with angels that I've done and it's the thing that I I've kind of discovered or my my experiences have not always been entirely positive uh, perhaps for the reasons that you suggest that their their mentality is very different than ours and you know we may be trying to (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we, we may be trying to speak a, a common language. We may, we may be able to do some limited communication, but my experience with them is that they they see their priorities are entirely different. They're seeing things that they're seeing things differently, and, and it's not to say that their priorities are necessarily better. They're just different because they have a different role. They're, they have mm-hmm. a different function, and as a result, um, I you know we we can't always see eye to eye because. Our priorities are different, and my my experience with them has generally been that sometimes they think our priorities are out of whack. Um, the other thing that I remember was I was doing some work once, and I encountered a group of angels that pretty much seemed to serve as um, burglar alarms for God, or they they were essentially warning angels. And they basically the best way I could describe them is they operated like burglar alarms. That they detected something and then they would shriek about it, uh, but that's that was their primary role, and it was some. It was a very one-dimensional. It was. It was they seemed very one-dimensional to me. But that, again, they're angels. They're not necessarily human. Are angels and, the computer programs of God? That's it, a good question. That's a way of. Wait. Yes, it's very very interesting. The more work that we've done uh, with them and, and uh, the more questions I think they've asked and, and the method of, of how they've answered is they're almost the, the most complex you know system. I, th- I think how they appear um, they're very very independent and, and intelligent and I think uh, appear a certain way for a certain reason but my intellect is there to know that they're not off looking like that somewhere. There's no reason for them to appear with uh, anthropomorphic figures and, and wings and, you know, glowing things on that thing. That's just, um, that's just a proper way that um, we can con- converse with them one-on-one. Uh, but they're very complex, very powerful networks of energy. And when I ask them how they function and everything, the way they ex- explain it, if I can quote them uh, properly was through God, through the source, 
the intention of what it wants is sent through them and they just they act on that they sense it through them and, they, and that's what spurns them on to do whatever they do and they act completely that is how their actions are performed that's how their choices are, are made that is how they they do i mean they're they're aware beings and they're sentient beings but they're plugged into the source and i question some other spirits um about this as well and uh, a helpful spirit and and uh the perspective really i, I think it it put it into perspective when I when I heard it in this fashion. It was one of the best um, lessons I got from my my personal helper spirit. And he's like, take for a moment, if you can imagine that every spirit, even some of the ones that are lost, eventually they'll come back. They're connected to this source. the 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 sense of individuality of identity is definitely not what you experience it there. For one, there's no ability to believe that they are isolated and that there's nothing else they're connected there's there's no questions asked because they're connected to the matrix they're connected to everything that's going on they actually look at humanity as a sort of gift it's a temporary gift because their sense of time is different too and human lives are very fleeting it's like but they understand what a gift it is just for a moment to be lonely to be in love to believe that there's nothing else here it's just physical matter and then we were to actually have that ability to believe that and to firmly not see or feel or have an experience of even evidence of that nothing that that is actually a gift especially for one that where you cannot make those decisions you cannot change that everything is working in flux you have your your being and kind of your identity but it's connected wherein where you cannot work against the grain so to speak to um believe think or or do an action that's not in accordance with this connection that's running through you and it went on from there but it, it uh helped me to understand that um you know through these angelic beings and everything that things are working at a beautiful level in, in creation so many things are going on but it's way beyond singular perspective you can't appreciate uh the role of an angel from singular perspective just like an angel cannot completely appreciate singular perspective not being plugged in but they still find it beautiful that we can think do and function even though we're still a part of the picture we're still a part of this great play uh, but we can pretty much pretend or almost be blind to the fact that we are mm -hmm. uh, they see that as very very interesting and, and not in a sadistic kind of way or a foolish kind of way it's supposed to be that way. It's just, it's exactly supposed to be that way, and to have understanding that from the most atrocious acts that, that people can commit to the most beautiful acts of love and everything. These are expressions and the the fraction of the fraction of the fraction of God experiencing itself, and to have that fullness of experience, you have to have those fractions leading out to the furthest places where you have the person that doesn't even acknowledge, believe. Or care if there is a creator that's a beautiful experience it's supposed to be that way it was designed to be that way and it's such a bizarre thing from people of other perspectives to understand but I guess when you're the source or you're one of the beings leading directly off the source and everything you see that in a different way it is what it is because it's exactly going according to its design there's nothing that it can exist outside of it and it's just been a weird learning process to kind of appreciate and, and accept that even when I can't see it, when I don't understand it, and when 
other people's actions make me angry, make me sad, make me lonely. But when I stop and I kind of remember the feeling of when I was speaking to them and, and what they were saying, that was a message that was coming across that, you know, the things that they do, even though we don't understand it, it's not coming from, it's not coming from a human emotion. It's not coming from jealousy, from anger, from apathy. It's not coming from any of those. I once asked one of the angels about even demons and how the angels felt about demons. And I was completely blown away. And this was coming from the Archangel Mikael saying that God loves each and every one of them with the same intensity, the same passion that he loves me, and I am the most beloved. He says that there's not a grain of sand that exists that God's not perfectly aware of. There's all these analogies and metaphors that I get that definitely can go over my head, but it makes me think, it makes me meditate about how awesome that perspective is and it's beyond mine and it's I can hear it and I can meditate on it or I can disregard it or just be totally confused it's it's just one of those things but you know for me the the experience is worth it and even if it was an illusion like uh, when time goes by when we don't do these experiments when I don't feel the presence of these beings I miss it and there's also kind of a part of my logical reasoning that almost tries to uh, rationalize, you know, rationalize it away and try to make it into something else until I'm back in it again and the experience is there. So what is it about Gnosticism in general and the Joanni Church in particular that is interesting for you if you don't have that kind of world-hating dualist <laughs> kind of view? Mm -hmm. And I know people don't in the Joanni Church. I'm not saying that it's wrong. I'm just, you know... I'm curious. My my draw to it, um, and first of all, it was kind of bouncing off an earlier question. After doing this work with the angels and and uh, other things, they were kind of leading me on that you know, hey, the people who do this are usually priests, and they're doing it in service. I mean, it's great that you want to speak to us and you know have these interactions, and everything. But what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with the knowledge? What are you going to do with the results you're getting and, you know, on these things you're receiving and everything, because they're always big about service, service. So you got to be doing it for something, helping out your fellow man. And everything. This is not just for you to, to dwell in and enjoy. So it really made me look into um, fulfilling that role, whatever it meant for me. And especially with the, the Jonites, for one, it was the kind of people, but also it was the ability to be who I am, um, this kind of, magical person doing these experiments and you know having this kind of philosophy but to, to be able to honestly and earnestly uh express my spirituality that way and especially what i learned through the johannite church was honoring the gnosis and even though there is tradition there that diversity is something to be not only accepted but in embrace and to honor within people that that individual flame that individual light coming from the source, source is to be not only honored, but to, to, to encourage it in, in others. And even though the priests are not perfect, uh, since meeting you, since uh, meeting the other clergy and everything, and, and seeing the examples about how you do that for other people, while gaining your own knowledge and, and still seeking yourself, I'm like, these are the kind of people 
this is the kind of church, this is the kind of philosophy that I can support. Uh, not everybody agrees and everything, and that's an okay thing. That's not something that breaks the church. If anything, I've seen it grow the strength uh, in the individual clergy, and that is my reasoning for joining it. And after looking hard, and, and I had trouble saying I could support this religion fully. I could support this philosophy fully. With the Joanne Light Church and in this aspect of Gnosticism, that is honoring the individual Gnosis, that person, define it, seek it, that's something that I have no trouble saying. I support this, I believe in this, and I think this is important. Yeah, that's, that's very well said. I like that. <laughs> Um, you were mentioning before we started recording the podcast, you were talking about um, skepticism and how uh, you know you, you're not really very concerned with people who don't believe that what you're what you're doing is real. Can you talk about that again? Sure. For, first of all, kind of like I was saying before, it was um, probably about four years ago. Uh, I've been talking to magicians and such, and I've had my own experiences, but I've seen a lot of people blow some things up. And uh, even with some of these angelic beings, I'm like, okay, you met them, and you know, you spoke with them because they're, they're supposed to be these huge, grandiose beings. I, I was skeptical, and, and um, like I was saying before, um, if I told myself what I have experienced and what I've undergone, and, and try to relate that to myself, maybe just four or five years ago, I, I would have been skeptical, and I would have been like. Okay, but of course I can't just totally believe that or connect with that because I haven't seen it yet. It's one of those, I'll believe it when I see it. Um, and it's the same thing here. I think we, every time I, uh, my scryer and I leave the magical chamber, one of the first things we say is nobody's going to believe this. Mm -hmm. uh, because nobody really in their kind of rational would um, unless you've had the direct experience. And that's completely understandable. My background in psychology uh, and perception and... and um, you know, understanding how people do that, uh, of course it doesn't bother me. It's it's a very, very uh, far-fetched thing uh, to believe in or to even take it, um, you know, first account. So it's never actually been a concern with me. It actually wasn't a concern in my first book. I was like, I'm just going to read, you know, write this. I'm going to share what I experienced. And people will enjoy it or, or they won't or they'll be like, wow, that's pretty neat, but they'll leave it there. What I encourage for people to do is, you know, if they're interested, to do it for themselves. Um, and probably my most, one of my happiest times after writing this book was a student that I was working with um, that helped me with is down in South America. And he was just so motivated. For years, he took years to make the tools. He gave me his scrying journal. He updated me every week read about what his scrying experience was like. He, I thought he was going to be one of those guys that was interested, but like many things, you know, people get distracted and, and you change, which is fine. But he kept at it. He did things probably better to the T than I even did. Traditionally and, and um, you know, fasting and abstaining and meditating and, you know, doing all these things. And his first experiments was flop. Nothing happened. It was so disappointing, and we were trying to work out, well, what happened, and this and that. Psychic experience, still nothing. He waited. He did everything to a T. I don't think it was till his fifth experience that he wrote me, and he was ecstatic. He's like, I saw him. 
he was there. This happened. A pipe burst in my room and, you know, some other amazing things happened. And he was so excited. And I was so excited with him because he did it. And it was hard for me because I was like, this person deserves this experience. Um, I just knew in my heart. I mean, I could just tell. I mean, he showed me the evidence of his work. He did everything. And I was like, man, if anybody deserves it, it's him. I don't know why it's not working. And there's nothing I could force to do that. And I would consult and, you know, there would be these um, ideas and these methods to help him out. But when he finally got it, it was just such a beautiful moment because not only that, but we could share that um, he wanted to know and he finally knew and he's having his own experiences now. And I love that because it's one of those things that I can talk about, you know, all the time and it's fun to share. But for people who have not experienced that yet, it's just a neat story. It's just kind of a neat ideal. But if you've never seen or experienced it like that, it's like, oh, okay, but I don't have that in my, you know, reality. That's not part of my experience in life thus far. So what am I supposed to do with that? Totally understand. For some people, they come to me and it's very, very frustrating. They've never experienced anything spiritual, unusual, paranormal. It's very difficult. And I tell them that. I'm like, well, some people are just, it's not their point to experience that. It's just they're not supposed to. They've got, life is definitely challenging and full enough as it is without having to deal with it. There's a reason for that. And I was informed that there's a reason for that. There's beings who moderate that to make sure that certain things don't happen. And I learned a reason why too, because when you try to force that sometimes and you can open up certain things in people's minds, even through hypnosis and other methods, but if they're not supposed to be seeing right now, now, it's not good for them. It does not help them. It's not needed. Not everybody needs that blinding spiritual lights. Not everybody needs that interaction. It's just not their point. Even if they're interested, even if they want it more than anything in the world, for whatever reason, for some of them, it's just it's not supposed to happen at that time. And I have come to the point where I have to acknowledge that and and respect that in other people. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, there's a tendency toward egalitarianism, um, which on one hand, I, I think it's important not to dismiss somebody, uh, an aspirant to spiritual things out of hand, certainly, just because they don't meet our preconception of what a developed or a, a person with potential, spiritual potential has. But at the same time, I think it's also important to recognize that not everybody has the same gifts, not everybody has the same uh, abilities. And this is not necessarily a bad thing. What is a bad thing is telling somebody that everybody can do this. I think you mentioned this even in your book when I was kind of looking through it a little bit. Um, people are being told that everybody can develop their 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 clairvoyant abilities or their you know, this or their their dream life or whatever. And that may not be what that person's role is. That may not be what that person needs to be doing or should be doing. They may have a very different type of calling. And encouraging people to think that they that they have the ability to be clairvoyant is like encouraging every person to believe that they can be a world champion world champion pole vaulter. Um, it, it, it's not the case, and 
I think for clerk, this may not be a role for somebody who is a ceremonial magician, but kind of getting back to what we were talking about earlier with your decision to pursue holy orders, I think that that is a role for clergy um, in working with people uh, in a more general way and encouraging them to develop their own vocation, which is not necessarily going to look like the people that they admire, the bad of the people who they admire. They may love ceremonial uh, magic rock stars, and that's fine. I love I love Kiss, you know. I I, I love Led Zeppelin, um, uh, but you know I'm not going to be Jimmy Page. I, I I'm not going to you know be Paul Stanley. It, it, it's that's not going to happen. I can admire that, but I have my own vocation and my own calling, and that's what I think. Um, clergy, particularly esoteric and Gnostic clergy, who don't condemn these practices and understand the importance of them can help to nurture people in, in finding their path, their genius, so that they can develop that. Oh, yeah. I'm definitely one of those people. I am spiritually dense, and I've never had any <laughs> – you know, I've never had any success with any of those kinds of practices. And so I, I really well, – have to hang around more. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> my my poor friends, even being if they were around us or stayed around, it's just one of those things. Like my wife was the same person. My wife is very very down the earth, no nonsense, and and so much about me was like this is she would just tell me like this is crap. But then stuff would happen, and she experienced more and everything, and she just loves telling people. She's like, I thought this was total crap. Never heard about this stuff. Never saw it growing up. It just didn't exist until I met this guy, <laughs> and it's just—it's one of those. It's a weird thing, and now, um, yeah. Just to talk about even some of the stuff she'll do around it's—it's it's a very funny household here, but it's just, you know, the reality of it is for me. And I think the hurting and some of the difficulties people have is that it seems glamorous or just—it seems fascinating. It is fascinating. Yeah. And, Holds my fascination, but I think people get frustrated sometimes too when, for whatever reason, it's it's not there. They really, really want to experience it, and they you know they want to try to do this, but it just it does not line up for them. Like it's not it's not happening, um, and I understand that as well. And even for a person coming from a, a background, some of the ex early experiences where, you know, I did like a goetic operation with all the bells and whistles, and absolutely not, it was just dead. You know, I walked out of the circle without a care and you know, without a worry in the world because nothing was there, nothing happened. Can I, I just interrupt you for a minute, Freder? Sure. Um, um, I know that you you mentioned that you've been having very interesting work with your particular scryer. Um, how important is it for one who, again, wants to begin this work? of finding kind of that right individual to work with as a scryer. I mean, I would imagine that at least part of your success in your operation is really dependent upon the scryer that you're working with. I mean, uh, like I said, you could be following everything to the T, doing everything precisely, but maybe if your scryer isn't really intuitive, maybe you're just not going to be recognizing success i mean um it's like if i unplug my headphones right now i may not hear a darn thing but i plug them in and all of a sudden i can um you know do you have to have that person who's plugged in to be able to have these communications if you're not plugged in then definitely yes and and the fascinating experiences i've been kind of on this journey and and what was happening is that 
for me, I was, I was having all these um, experiences and they were amazing, but it was just me. It was just me in this, in this room. And uh, I was also conversing. And then especially when I was talking to these angels, it's, it's kind of a, my senses get flooded and it's just like, whoa. I mean, it's like, um, you know, maybe you're getting ready for your work day and then all of a sudden the most revered celebrity comes in, you know, with the whole entourage and just starts talking to you. I mean, it may kind of take you by surprise and, you know, you're trying to take everything in. And then like a week later, I mean, and like they leave an hour later and a week later, you're trying to recall that. And you can remember it, sure. But some of it seems like, God, did that really happen? You know, what, what was that really all about? And my first book is, is kind of that evidence. I'm, I'm seeing them, meeting them for the first time after not really knowing if he existed, not really... Uh, they were just, they were kind of, they're the biblical superstars. They're like, okay, yeah, the angels, and I can even pray towards them, and I can read about their correspondence and what they can do for you and everything, and, you know, kind of get an idea. But, you know, until they're there, um, they're still just somebody that you're reading about. Um, but it was, and it was just me. When, and then with my scryer, uh, it was unintentional. What happened was I was actually doing hypnosis. Uh, and I wanted to take, uh, he's been a longtime friend of mine. We've been friends forever. We've done a lot of spiritual things, a lot of uh, pagan Celtic things is actually what um, my interest was for a long time. And uh, we kind of started a, a druidic thing. Anyways, I, I had him under hypnosis with the intentions to uh, meet a spirit guide or, or one of the, uh, the Celtic pantheon. Uh, but what happens is um, I ended up, it was like an astral projection formula. He ends up meeting this angel, and I'm like, oh, okay, an angel, and speaks with him. And the biggest thing that the angel is saying is, you two need to work to each. You need to work and do this kind of work together. And he reiterated that quite a few times. I was like, okay, I guess we need to work together. So I'm like, well, I was, I'm not really a fan of having other people in the magic circle with me in this thing because a lot of books told me not to, even though it's more historically accurate. But I was like, let's give it a try. Maybe you'll be able to see what I see. And so we started, and it's an experience like none other, because for the first time, somebody is seeing what I'm seeing. They're experiencing what I'm experiencing. When the room lights up, we both gasp at the same time. When something appears, we both know it. And it turns out that his ability to even hear and the information uh, is much more, it's much more rich. And it may be because... I'm able to concentrate on the written questions. I got everything organized. I'm able to access my kind of logical, rational mind still where he's completely absorbed in the, the, the scrying experience and communing with the angel. All he has to do is repeat back what they're saying. So all of a sudden we have the system where it's just the communication is that much clearer. It's a clear conduit and we can do this completely you know, together. And it's just been a fantastic experience because I have someone to share it with now. It's somebody that is like, yeah. And uh, he had no invested interest, especially in angels. I mean, he was interested more in the Celtic gods and goddesses. And uh, he had never studied hermetic things that way. So he's like, okay, what's this being about? So I'm like, well, let's, you know, call it and see. And he's relating all of these things that, you know, I could find references for in, in uh, these grimoires and, you know, these correspondences and stuff. And it's, fascinating the information i mean it's our i'm asking questions over an hour long and i'm not getting yes or no responses i'm getting poems i'm getting details i'm getting these analogies these scenes and these responses that are rich and they're fascinating and i'm like 
holy crap, I need to make sure this is all getting recorded. And I'm like, I can't write it down fast enough for what he's saying. So I'm like, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to bring in a voice recorder. So I record the whole sessions. I play them back and I type out every single word that's, that's being said. And it's, it just blows my mind because it's, again, it's one of those things like, I don't know. I don't think, unfortunately, maybe that I would have quite believed that all of this could have happened, but it has been, and it just continues on, and uh, it has led to let us down. So we've been doing it for over three years, and wow. uh, for some years we've been doing one every single week. And this is with me having two jobs, and and both of us with families and other things. But it's it's like nothing we ever experienced before. So it's it seems important. We don't know why we were able to, to come together and do it. We don't understand how it comes clear. I mean, both of us being me and my sprayer, we're definitely not pious by any means or holy or there's a lot more intelligent, a lot more centered, probably a lot more people that have more space and room to do this. Um, so I definitely don't understand exactly why, but it's just been a fantastic journey. Um, it's, and having that scryer, having him there has been wonderful for me. It's not only sharing an experience with somebody more verifiable, uh, but it's also a richer gathering of this information for sure. And uh, he's just phenomenal. His abilities have increased and both of our lives have, have changed uh, for certain in our spiritual practices um, for sure. We're, there, there's some marked differences the before and after. Now it's kind of interesting being that proactive in your spiritual practice. Well, <clears throat> excuse me. That's uh, that's about our hour, and I know we, can, <laughs> we could go on and on. I'm sure. I'm sorry to talk everyone's ear off. No, 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 not at all. We enjoyed this. We have you on the show. <laughs> yeah, it's a talk show after all. Um, well, first of all, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, they can find me at on um, my blog at a Magician's Workings. That's uh, the the Brian Blogspot, I think, or the Brian Ashen Blogspot. You can find me at Facebook, uh, my magical name, Frater Ashen Chisan. Uh, and they can find my book on Amazon.com or NephilimPress.com. All right. And uh, not to put you on the spot, I don't know if you've told me or not already, but are you going to Conclave this year? I want to. It's going to be to see if I can afford it ahead of time because I, I loved it last year, so I'm going to definitely try if I can. All right. Well, that'd be great. I, I hope you can. So. Yeah, it'd be great to see you again. We'll have lots of interesting conversations. And and uh, just a reminder to our listeners, if you're interested in talking about Gnosticism with a bunch of Gnostics in the same room, which you don't get to do very often, um, then uh, you can come to Conclave. So go to joanite.org, J-O-H-A-N-N-I-T-E.org. Click on the Conclave 2015. Dates are May 21st through the 26th, uh, and it will be in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. So if you're... Uh, if you're interested at all in that, go to the website and check it out for more information. And I think that's it. Anybody have any final comments they want to make before, uh, before we sign off? Alrighty then. Well, then for those of you listening along at home, we will see you next week. Good night, everyone. Yeah, good night. Good night, everyone. This has been a production of the Gnostic Wisdom Network. For more information about this and all of GWN's programming, please visit GnosticWisdom.net. The opinions expressed in this show do not necessarily reflect the opinions of GWN, the Apostolic Joannite Church, or any other organization.
This has been released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 International License and is brought to you by the generous support of our patrons. To support our programs and become a patron, please visit patreon.com slash gnostic. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash g-n-o-s-t-i-c.